Welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. It is Friday, November 18th, and it is pie night. So we are having a pie contest, and uh, people are getting up and eating more and more pie. But while they're doing that, I am going to be going over a little lesson on Thanksgiving, just because if I wait till everyone's done eating pie, we're going to get started at like 730. So if you can, remember to silence your cell phones, and we're going to get going. Now, we already prayed before we started eating, so I'm going to talk to you about Thanksgiving. So the title of tonight's message, and I said I was just going to talk to you briefly and casually. This is going to be as long as everything else we always do, because I always just find so much good information, so I want to give it to you. It's called Thanksgiving, the Bible versus Communism. So I want to start off by telling everyone two points about Thanksgiving that you'll typically hear that are wrong, but they're constantly brought up. So the first point is that the pilgrims came to America for what purpose? Religious freedom. Okay, that was the answer we had yelled out. How many people have heard that the pilgrims came to America for religious freedom? Who was taught that in school or heard that somewhere? Okay, almost everybody. That is the first misunderstanding or <laughs> bold-faced lie, depending on who's telling it to you. Uh, the pilgrims did not come to America for religious freedom. They had that uh, before coming to America. Number two, the Indians saved the pilgrims, and without them, there would be no Thanksgiving, no pilgrims, and no America. Anyone ever hear that? How, the th how Thanksgiving was about the pilgrims thanking the Indians for saving their lives? Okay, that's also not true. There are Indians in the story, and we're sure glad they are there, and we're going to talk about them because they're a big part of the story, but it's a little different. And what I found out is that several points are left out of the Thanksgiving story. Most of those points center around God and the Bible. So the story of the pilgrims begins in the early part of the 17th century. The Church of England under... King James I, he was persecuting everybody who did not recognize the government's absolute rule over all things civil and spiritual. And in England in the 1600s, if you disagreed, you could be hunted down, you could be imprisoned, uh, you could be executed for your beliefs. So there was a fellow named William Bradford and there was a group called the Pilgrims, and they ended up fleeing where? They wanted religious freedom, so they were going to flee England. Where did they go? They went to Holland. Very good. So in 1608, they fled to Holland. Now, at this time, just to give you some perspective, William Bradford was 18 years old when they went to Holland. They wanted to worship God how they saw fit, and they found out that in Holland, uh, they had the religious freedom that they were looking for. And in their writings, we read they found, quote, much peace and liberty in the Dutch city of Leiden. They remained in Holland for 11 years. Why did they leave Holland? This is the big question that, for some reason, so many folks miss when you're looking through history. Now, 
when you start looking up this question and trying to answer this question, why did the Pilgrims and William Bradford leave Holland? I was reading, I don't know, a half dozen, a dozen different historians, and they all had these ideas. Well, they left for this reason. They left for that reason. Do you know that we have William Bradford's personal journal? It's unbelievably detailed. It is in Massachusetts. You can go and look at it. You can download the whole thing. He tells you exactly why they left Holland. So why did the pilgrims leave Holland? Any, any, anyone want to guess other than my son, Washington? Okay, Washington, what do you think? They ended up uh, leaving Holland because of the impact it had on their children. I'm going to read you a quote from William Bradford's journal. And when he speaks about him and the pilgrims, he always refers to them as they, the pilgrims, even though he was part of the group. But that which was more lamentable and of all sorrows most heavy to be born was that many of their children by these occasions and the great licentiousness of youth in that country and the manifold temptations of the place were drawn away by evil examples into extravagant and dangerous courses, getting the reins off their necks and departing from their parents. So because of the licentious lifestyle of the youth in that country, they were concerned with how it was affecting their children. And what did they see fit to do? What was a reasonable course of action they took in their minds to make sure they saved their children from the wickedness of Holland? They got on boats and they went across an ocean to a land that was nothing but wilderness to escape that wickedness. Continuing the quote, talking about the children that were growing up the pilgrims that were growing up in Holland. Some became soldiers. Others took upon them far voyages by sea and others, some worse courses, tending to dissoluteness and the danger of their souls to the great grief of their parents and dishonor of God so that they saw their posterity would be in danger to degenerate and be corrupted. There is more to the journal entry that we're going to read in a minute but I want you to let that idea sink in. William Bradford and the 40 pilgrims were willing to sail across an ocean to a continent they've never been to and land in a wilderness, then try to make a go of it to save their children from the wickedness of the land. Nick. Um, did they even know that it existed? Yes. No, no, no. And that's that's a good question. So if you're going over your dates, uh, we find that the pilgrims, they land uh, in 1620. Uh, Columbus was there in 1492. There were people that had gone over and there were some colonies that had been established. The pilgrims did not find any of those because they were blown off course and they didn't land where they wanted to. Now, I say all that to say this. No wonder God blessed these people. This is the greatest point I'm going to make tonight is that today Christians are not willing to be moderately inconvenienced to get closer to God, to protect their family, to do what they think 
God would want them to do. And here, these people are willing to leave behind their entire life. And do you know what the result was after one year? One year after they left, they show up in America. One year later, half are dead. Half of the pilgrims are dead. Yes. I don't remember. I didn't look it up. I'd have to check on it for you how long the voyage was. I know this. In 1776, during the Revolutionary War, when dispatches would be sent over to England to the king, it would take somewhere between two to three months to get them from America over to the king for him to get reports of how the war was going. So I imagine it was about the same journey, about two months. Now, I want you to look. We only have a couple verses to go over. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The pilgrims saw the wickedness that was starting to affect their children. They knew what the outcome was going to be, and they said, We will face death in order to ensure that our children can be raised godly. They saw the wickedness that was a potential threat to their family, and they did something about it. William Bradford and the pilgrims decided that there was no task too difficult, no challenge too great to protect their children. And, fellas, listen up. As a father, it is my job to protect my family. There are other jobs. But the Bible tells me no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how much money it may cost, you ready for this? No matter how weird it makes me look in front of my peers or my extended family, I am to protect my family and follow God. It does not matter those things. That's my job. And one day I'm going to have to stand before God and I'm going to have to answer for my decisions. My wife and my kids, they get to stand behind me when I stand before God and answer for my family. My wife only has to answer for her actions and how her life turned out. I have to answer for mine and hers. Because God's going to say, why did you let your wife do this when you knew it was bad for her and bad for your family? And he's going to look at me for the answer. That is the heavy responsibility of being a father. Here's the next paragraph in Bradford's journal. Lastly, he gives several reasons for why they left Holland. He says the greatest reason is that our kids are going to go wayward, and we can't have that. And he says, lastly, the last reason he gives, and which was not least, he says, a great hope and inward zeal they had of laying some good foundation, or at least to make some way thereunto for the propagating and advancing the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world. Yea, though they should be but even as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. William Bradford and the pilgrims wanted to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know how they described it? I read a you know, a lot of his journal, they described America as savages and barbarians roaming the countryside like animals, killing indiscriminately. That's what they knew of the, of the Indians in America. 
And that was reasonably accurate. There were several tribes that were pretty violent. There were other tribes that were real nice. And we're going to find out, guess who they ran into? The pilgrims ran into some real nice ones. And thank God for that. But those were the folks they wanted to bring the gospel to. The ones that there were stories of, when they would show up, they would just kill everybody. That was the result of some of the Indian tribes in America when folks from Europe came over. And they said, yeah, these guys need the gospel. We're going to get on that later. But it's just a reminder to us as Christians. It is, by Bible definitions, it is Saturday. The sun has set on Friday evening. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Okay, this is the seventh day, and at sundown on Saturday, we start a new week. We can hit the reset button and ask ourselves, how did I do as a Christian this week? How did I do with reading my Bible? How did I do with praying? Did I invite anyone to church? Did I give the gospel to anyone? How did I do on some of these things? Did I make an effort? We can hit the reset button, and we can try again. And we don't have to compare ourselves to other people. We only have to compare ourselves to ourselves the week before. We just need to improve. Just little bits. Now, on August 1st, 1620, the Mayflower set sail. It carried a total of 102 passengers, including 40 pilgrims. They were led by William Bradford. On the journey, Bradford set up an agreement and established equal justice under law. And this was regardless of your religious beliefs. This was the Mayflower Compact. That is what Bradford wrote. The Mayflower Compact derived from the, Bi from the Bible. The pilgrims were folks who were steeped in the Bible, and they never doubted their experiment would work. They never doubted that they would get to the new world. They never doubted that once they got here, they would thrive. They believed. The journey was long, it was hard, and it was dangerous, and when they finally landed, it was November in New England. Has anyone been in New England in November? Okay, my sister, who lives, now she lives in Buffalo off of one of the Great Lakes, and today they're expecting what, Mom? Five feet of snow. If you've never been in a blizzard that comes off the ocean on the East Coast in the winter, let me tell you, the winters can be brutal. I don't want to stop anyone from getting up and getting more pie. Go get another round of pie. Just try to do it reasonably quietly so everyone else can still hear the story as we go. Don't stop on my account. It is a pie night, so we must eat pie. So the pilgrims landed in New England in November. According to William Bradford's detailed journal, they found a cold, barren, desolate wilderness. Think of this. You just spent months on board a boat. You come upon land. Now, you are in a storm, and it blew you way off course. And you show up in New England, and it's freezing, and there is snow there are no houses, there are no stores, there is no electricity, there are no roads, there is just wilderness. And you now have to survive the winter before you can even plant, forget about harvesting. During that first winter, half of them, including William Bradford's own wife, died of starvation, of sickness, 
and exposure to the elements. In that winter, nearly out of food, they were living on a ration of just five kernels of corn a day. And most of the mothers among them perished because they gave their portions to their starving children. Of those 18 married women, 14 died that first winter, sacrificing themselves for the next generation. Bradford said they start talking about two or three people dying a day, so half the company is dead. Now, they continue to trust God, and they refuse to give up. The survivors of the first winter were still set on not retreating that spring back to Holland with the captain and the crew on the departing Mayflower. Captain Jones said, I'm going back to England. I want all of you on my ship. I cannot leave you here. He said, this land is chewing you up and spitting you out. You all must get back on the ship. We're going back to Europe. Not one pilgrim left. So now spring finally came and they met the Indians. Now here's where we start to see God's hand on the pilgrims. God provided miracles to protect and provide for the pilgrims over and over again. The Indian Samoset had met other Englishmen prior to the pilgrims showing up, and he learned a little bit of the English language. In March of 1621, he surprised the pilgrims by walking into their colony and greeting them in English. First Indian they meet walks into their town and speaks English. He took them to meet a young brave named Squanto, who spoke English fluently. Now remember, the pilgrims were blown way off course. This wasn't where they were planning on landing, but God wanted them brought to a man who is an immense help to the pilgrims. What do you think the odds are that they show up in America and they meet some Indians that speak fluent English? Can we say that's? Yeah. Do you know how Squanto learned English? He was captured, made a slave, brought to Europe, gets his freedom, comes back to America and ends up where the pilgrims are. What are the odds? Just an f- amazing coincidence. It was providence. It was God setting this up for them to succeed. God was protecting his people. Squanto was the providential instrument used by God because he became their interpreter. Squanto helped the settlers find peace with nearby tribes, and the pilgrims drew up a treaty with the Masoit and the Wamapagos that lasted 55 years. And I don't know if I pronounced either of those tribes correctly. Now, that was a miracle in itself. And do you know that that was the longest peace treaty on record in the United States? 55 years with the surrounding tribes, with William Bradford and the pilgrims. Because God brought them to a man, an Indian, that lived nearby, that spoke fluent English. 
Now, the Native Americans who were there did help them in planting corn and fishing for cod. Uh, several of the crops that the pilgrims brought with them and were hoping to grow didn't do well in the sandy soil, but the corn did, and they showed them how to, how to grow that, so they, uh, they thrived. Uh, the pilgrims were also shown where the beavers were, uh, which they used for the pelts, and that was something that they could use to establish trade and make money. And God led them to a perfect place. So just above the famous Plymouth Rock that we you know, read about, heard about, the pilgrims found a place that perfectly and miraculously met all of their needs. They had a river of fresh, clean water teeming with fish. Uh, that flowed right through the area where they were. Next to it was a high hill, which was a perfect location for them to set their cannon on, which they did to hopefully deter invaders from the French and from the Spanish and from any Indians that might be violent. Uh, they found, ready for this? Listen, listen to this. They found three acres of cleared farmland, which the natives had abandoned because the plague had killed most of them. So there were, there were Indians that went to this area, cleared it, cut the trees down, rooted them up, leveled the land, tilled it, got it ready for farming, and then all died of the plague. And the pilgrims landed right there. It's insane. And because these Indians were wiped out by the plague, no other Indians wanted to go to that area. Yep, so they were safe. They didn't have invaders because the Indians heard that there was a plague there and that it was bad luck. Yeah, it's cursed. They didn't want to be around it. Now, here's the big part that has been omitted from the story. The pilgrims didn't have the money for this endeavor. They couldn't afford to buy the boats and go across the ocean and, and start this whole thing. So what they had were sponsors. There were merchant sponsors in London and in Holland. And these merchant sponsors demanded that everything that the pilgrims produced would go into a common store. And that each pilgrim in the community was entitled to one share. So everybody had an equal share of whatever was in the bank. All the land they cleared, the houses they built, all the crops that they yielded, everything was property of that community. They were going to distribute it equally because they were going to be fair. So all of the land that they cleared and all the houses they built belonged to everybody. It belonged to the community. Nobody owned anything. They just had an equal share in it. What do we call that form of government? Communism. In socialism, you still earn the money. The government just takes most of it and gives it to who they want. In communism, you don't even own the money. You work, you don't get paid. William Bradford was the governor of the colony and he noticed it wasn't working. That first winter had taken a lot of lives and the manpower was down. So William Bradford said, we're going to make some big moves here. He threw out the old plan and he assigned a plot of land to each family. They could work it. They could manage it however they wanted. And they kept the increase. It's your land. You do what you want. You grow a crop. You sell the crop. You keep the money. He turned loose the power of the free market capitalism. Now, I don't think he knew that or what 
it was called, but that's what he did. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the Bible talks about this. It says, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So if you want to take your plot of land and just let the weeds grow up around it and just sit there and starve to death, you're welcome to do it. What Bradford and his community found was that the most creative and industrious people had no incentive to work any harder than anyone else. What Bradford wrote about this social experiment should be in every history lesson on the pilgrims around the country. William Bradford said, and I quote, this community was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. For young men that were most able and fit for labor and service sat and did nothing. And they said, why should I break my back to feed a family which is not mine? They should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without payment? Question mark. That was thought injustice. Now, this is my broad stroke question that I love asking, and we get lots of answers. How does that idea fit into the Bible? <laughs> well done, Nick. Jesus. Very good. <laughs> Sound like one of my kids. <clears throat> does God believe in the plan that the pilgrims were initially put under by their merchant sponsors? No, he does not believe in communism. How do we know that? If God does not believe in communism, what does he believe in? What is God a proponent of? Communism does not work with private property. Do you know that God is in favor of private property? How do we know this? Okay, let me ask you this. What does God say concerning me and your property? I'm not allowed to covet your property. What else am I not allowed to do to your property? Exodus 20:15. Look it up. Thou shalt not steal. Exodus chapter 20 is the 10 commandments. I'm not allowed to take your property. It's yours. God believes in private property. There are penalties, whether it's your land or cow or your life. It is your property. Not allowed to take any of it. God says that he forbids stealing it. God is not only in favor of private property. He is in favor of private land ownership. And the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments of our Constitution protect property rights because the founders recognized God's views on property. John Locke said very simply that you cannot be free without property. It, private property is explicitly linked to freedom. You must be able to have property and you must need, be able to provide for yourself on your land. Do whatever you want with it. It is the foundation of industry. 
William Bradford unharnessed the power of the free market capitalism. The principle of private property shows up all the way back in the 1600s with William Bradford and the Pilgrims. And I quote in, in Bradford's journal, this had very good success, wrote Bradford, for it made all hands industrious. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. Everybody on their land said there's a little scrap of land here. Get another stalk of corn growing because every stalk of corn that grows is food that I can eat and that I can sell. They set up trading posts and exchanged their surplus goods with the Indians and those, quote, profits allowed them to pay off their debts to their sponsors in London and in Holland. They made, they grew so much produce, so far exceeded what they needed to eat. What can you do with the surplus? You can sell it. And they did. The first colony succeeded after they had abandoned socialism and communism and tried God's plan. And that was essentially capitalism. Now, the word spread throughout the old world of this massive amount of prosperity that was there for the taking in the new world. And in the coming years, the new world was flooded with new arrivals. The success and prosperity of the Plymouth settlement attracted more Europeans and began what came to be known as the Great Puritan Migration. The true story of Thanksgiving is that William Bradford and his pilgrims were thanking God for the blessings and protection on their community. That is the true story of Thanksgiving. Now, they had a Thanksgiving meal. They did invite the Indians. They invited, I forget if it was Squanto or Samoset, and they said for him to bring his family to the meal he misunderstood and showed up with 99 people <laughs> the thanks <laughs> the thanksgiving feast went on for three days <laughs> they they had wild turkey they had deer they had lots of different foods there and there was plenty of food for everybody it was a big celebration um governor uh governor bradford he was elected governor of the um uh, Plymouth Plantation. Uh, he put five kernels of corn on everybody's plate and asked everyone there to give him five things they were thankful for that first year in Plymouth. And that is the first Thanksgiving. The pilgrims believed that God was the provider of everything. They believed that you owned, <clears throat> sorry, you owed everything to your creator and redeemer, Jesus Christ. And therefore, the things that you did have, since you deserved nothing, you are thankful for. A couple years later, the pilgrims would need yet another miracle to survive as a drought hit the Plymouth plantation. God came through again after the pilgrims <clears throat> went to God in prayer. They all gathered together on a Wednesday evening and prayed that God would bring rain because all their crops were drying out and dying and they were scared they were going to lose everything. And the answer to prayer came that very night as a gentle rain started to fall and it rained straight for two weeks 
<clears throat> and revived all the crops and saved everything they had. A local Indian chief who was there present at the prayer meeting saw them pray and saw the rain start to fall <clears throat> was so awed by this obvious miracle that he gave his life to this God who answered the pilgrims prayers that night. Now, the biggest miracle of all is how this small band of Christians set the stage for what would become the freest and most prosperous and most spiritual nation, nation on earth. And they based it all on biblical principles. These folks had faith, they loved God, and they weren't scared to face danger and peril in order to try to do God's will. And it was in 1863 that Abraham Lincoln made Thanksgiving a national holiday. So that's my story on Thanksgiving. Yes. He did. So uh, William Bradford got married in Holland and uh, got a job there in the textile industry. And I believe he had a couple of kids i know he had at least one kid with his first wife when they first got to america he was off on an expedition and she fell off the deck of the ship and drowned in the sea just off the shore um while he was off uh scouting with with uh other fellows in the party and then he later remarried a widow whose husband died um you know uh, there in America in the, in the Plymouth plantation and uh, had a couple more kids with her. And she, I think brought two or maybe three kids to the marriage. So he did. Um, yeah. He was married, uh, married twice. Now, something else that's interesting is William Bradford's personal journal ended up <clears throat> being um, passed on through family. And then there was a gentleman who wanted to write a history of the pilgrims and the Plymouth plantation. So the family lent this man the journal and he started writing a history and then uh, he ended up dying. The book was shelved in his library. The Revolutionary War started. The British ended up getting the journal. It made its way all the way back to England and ended up in a church library in England until a scholar, I think in 1855, found it and realized what it was, brought it back to America, and it ended up in a museum in Massachusetts. Okay, with that being said, um, that's all I had for you. I have not had any pie. I'm going to get some. Thank you all for coming. We'll be back next Friday night. Don't forget to look us up on Spotify or Apple Podcast, and you can search for us on Facebook and YouTube on the Bible Thumper Podcast, and you can follow the Church of Grace there and all the sermons that we preach and all the Bible teachings we do, you can find online. Have a great night and happy Thanksgiving.